Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Matt DeLockery. Today, we have with us Dale Stevens, and we're going to talk about what it means to be an American Christian versus a Christian American. So, Dale, welcome, and thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks, bud. Uh, thank you, Matt. My name is Dale Stevens. He said pastor to uh, Pure Hope Church here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, probably, I, I assume, Matt, because you're so bright and uh, smart, and this is not intentional flattery, but uh, I assume your audience— longer than that, Dale. You know me longer than that. Yeah. So, but I assume that your audience, you know, shares shares some of those same uh, qualities, and so I think it would probably be appropriate for me to share a little bit about my background. So, I have a um, undergraduate degree in religion from Lee University, and uh, some higher education in uh, religion pastoral ministry kind of stuff. And uh, my most recent stuff is uh, towards uh, intercultural studies or, or missions, missiology. So I, I start that to say, I think, I think the important thing to go away there is I think about American culture and what it means to be a pastor to that culture, what it means to be a Christian in that culture. And so because of that, I come with a little bit of a, um, a kind of a, a tornness of a kind of respect and like a, a the genius of being an American and, and sort of the brilliance of the freedoms and all that comes with that, but also as a critic, you know, and I think uh, that seems to be the biblical stance in the sense that um, Jesus and his followers were um, uh, critics of the cult- parts of the culture that did not align with um, the best, healthiest values, particularly in lines to, uh, to God and his expectations of humanity. So I just wanted to kind of set the, preface of kind of who I am, kind of give that background. That's the typical academic thing to do, right? <laughs> My, yeah, yes. And, you know, long, super long introductions. Yeah, there you go. Here's the method and like hundred pages later. Okay. Now yeah, chapter yeah. one. <laughs> so those are my delimitations for who's, whoever cares. Uh, so I, I love this, I, this topic and this idea. It's a, I think it's a challenging one, Matt, you and I have talked privately about this and leading up to this conversation and uh, I, I shared, you know, very authentically with you the, the complexities of this conversation for me and how it um, it connects to my life personally. And um, and, and sort of um, there's some there's some natural traps involved in this conversation. There's some traps of uh, us and them. And that is not just sort of outside the walls of our uh, relationships, but within our family dynamics. Right. There are some my family who are on one side of the coin, others on the other side of the coin. And so. Thinking about Christianity and politics, thinking about American culture is, is tricky. We, we set this up as American Christian versus Christian American. I think for, for some of us, that, that feels kind of almost elementary. And, and it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like saying Jesus loves you. It's like, well, okay, I, I get that. All right, it's a simple statement. But, but that statement expounded upon, thought about, reflected on, probably could take a person a lifetime um, to uncover all that is unveiled in that, all that's a part of that statement. And I feel this, I feel similarly about the phrase Christian American in contrast to American Christian. It seems like almost elementary at first, but the reality is that, that those two things uh, are, are very thoughtful and there's lots to think about inside of those two scopes. Matt, you came from uh, an engineering school, right? And uh, one of the things you learn, as I understand it, in engineering yeah. is <laughs> is that there are some fundamentals, and um, and some fundamentals exist. Like, for example, priority matters. 
Now, I didn't go to an engineering school, but I know in making a cake, <laughs> priority matters. You have to you have to add certain ingredients at a certain time, right? That's again sounds sounds elementary, but I, I bring that to say the the concept of American Christian, where American modifies English lit uh, or grammar, modifies the Christian, the modifier there, versus the Christian modifies the American is is uh, really important to me and I, and I think important to God. And so for me, if American mo- modifies or describes or maybe we could say so far as controls the direction of my choices, that's a very different thing than me thinking through the lens of Christian American, where the Christian in front end pushes and shapes how I think about what it means to be a Christian. Right. The thing is, I think most people would agree with that. And the thing is, there's people who agree with that who are on both sides of some really, really important issues. We're all say, yeah, yeah, it's more important to be a Christian first um, than it is to be American. But we still end up with some wildly different perspectives on things. Um, and I know you've thought a lot about this. Could you pick one of those, pick a topic and like, in, instead of staying in the theoretical, let's, let's look yeah. at an issue and let's, you know, where the rubber meets the road and let's talk about, you know, this or that thing and why people take different sides and how it works out to whether we're putting one or the other first. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, maybe I could, I will answer that. Let me do one bit of backdrop, you know, of course, as a theologian or, or someone who studies theology, you know, I want, I want the framework, a, bi- a biblical framework, right? And just so happens I'm studying the book of Galatians right now. And, you know, Paul, Paul is the only time Paul opens his letter without saying, I thank God for you. Right. He, he goes right into the, uh, you know, he's he's hacked off. He's ticked. He's mad. And, and he's mad because they've distorted the gospel. So for those of you who may or may not be Christian, they've distorted truth. We, we can agree on those those phrasing. Right. And so uh, Paul comes at them. And this, by the way, is in contrast to how he treats the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are interesting because they're doing. They're doing a lot of the things that we would think that would be like totally antithetical to the religious right, for example. Uh, the Corinthians are spiritual abusers. Uh, they're they're uh, having orgies and they're having homosexuality. They're having all kinds of these practices that sometimes in modern America we think like, you know, we come hard against. And yet Paul introduces them as like, I thank God for you. You're the saints in Corinth. And he goes on and on and on. And here in Galatia, he comes harder. Why? Because it's. It's less the behavior is important, the code is important, but it's the the oh, this phrase right, the why before the what. Like they, they've missed that they've distorted the actual gospel message, and so I, I open them with that to say um, to your question about American politics, particularly like a particular issue today, like the the grind between why this, why that. I think a lot of it is distortions and conflation. So for me, one of the biggest distortions would be the conflation that to be uh, religious to be to be Christian or religious means you have to be Republican. You know we can have all kinds of dialogue about that, and maybe we will. But I think that's already for me an initial like red flag that I, I'm not coming with a, a a purely Christian motivation or agenda or or pure discernment into what is truth. And I've already aligned myself with a particular tradition or in this case party. And now I start to interpret my Christianity in light of that. Uh, Maybe, maybe it's helpful to think, uh, maybe I should also say that I I am the kind of person who believes that uh, Christians have an opportunity in this world on this side of heaven 
to be transformation change agents, to bring life and love and liberty and justice and all of these kinds of things. And so um, I'm trying to decide in my head while I stall which one's the right one to take on. <laughs> um, let's, what about, um, well, you want to just pick one and then I'll just go with it? <laughs> pick one as far as like what? He- heavy like topic. topic? That, yeah. All righty. Uh, let's see here. Um, well, we talked about pro-life a little while ago when we were you know, talking about topics sure. that you're interested in stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty divisive one. And yeah. it divides people on party lines. And it sounds to a lot of people um, on both sides of the issue, whether you're pro-life or you're pro-choice, a lot of people think that there's a very, very strong correct answer yeah and people are extremely divided it breaks down political lines and people on both sides uh, people call themselves christians christians on both sides whether they're left or right so what are your thoughts on that yeah that's a great one man that's like probably one of the most most divisive Sorry. ones yes yeah, it's just the one of the hardest ones right and so um so t- to that i mean this is where the gospel ultimately should should critique in the best possible sense of the word, both parties, right? It should critique us whether we're pro-life or pro-choice. It should critique us what we mean by pro-life. So I I say when people um, challenge me on pro-life, I say this, I am 100% pro-life. I am. I'm I'm pro-life. I think that um, the Genesis 1 and 2 account about the Imago Dei, humanity being created in God's likeness, and, and all the various passages about about what it means to be uh, human in in regards to our relationship with God, I think is a is is keenly accurate, is biblical, is appropriate. I also think though that pro life means more than just voting every four years. Um, I, I'll share from my own personal life, not as a um, pat on the back, but just as a maybe a model. Um, humbly, you know, my wife and I we adopted children. We adopted because we're pro life. And so um, thinking, thinking about what is pro-life in regards to uh, Christian politics from the Republican side, I would encourage and be like, yes, you're right. That is true. It's absolutely correct. It, it, Christian, the biblical example is a pro-life um, testament to that. Um, but, but it means more than just voting once a year. That doesn't necessarily mean you're pro-life. And yet I would also say I'm pro-life. I, I flip to my um, Democratic friends, particularly mainline and, and more specifically the ones that sometimes get left out of, out of the picture in regards to evangelical Christians is our black brothers and sisters who are, who are believers uh, who tend to align on the democratic side, but are not necessarily pro abortion. Um, they're pro-life too. They're pro-life in regards to um, equality, what, what it means, what it looks like for, for them and their family to be, to, to live in a pro-life system. And so I think this is where, I would critique that side and go, okay, you know, so in the way that I critique the Republican side, say, hey, it's more than about a vote. And and also don't let the conflation of a a party determine um, your beliefs and your values. On the other side, I would say, hey, don't don't let the same conflation in a different way um, uh, distort the clarity of the gospel that, yes, it is pro-life. And yet uh, not about not just about the equality and the equity of your family and um, your your uh, lineage, um, but also in what does it look like to be pro-life and, and sort of challenge that that uh, 
more democratic leaning about uh, life in those regards. Does that make sense? So I would I would want to I'm trying to describe is I would want to critique and uplift the theological accuracy on both sides. And I would want to uh, give a, a, a confrontational or, or uh, honest judgment on where those sides um, uh, devolve and, and, and don't see things clearly. In other words, they both have kind of a distorted imagery of the full picture of the gospel. Now, what do we do with that, right? Like, okay, great. So neither one's, neither one's uh, landed. It doesn't help you land. And, and, I, and then this is the part that is a struggle for me personally is um, – uh, you know, how, how do you vote? That, that's a, a lot more heavier framework than I'm probably prepared to answer today. I think it obviously has to do with a prayerful life and discerning and all those kinds of things. Um, but I guess for the purposes of our conversation today, I just wanted to to, to highlight. Um, it's not that I, I guess I'm saying is both sides have a, a part of the picture of the gospel, clarity of truth. Uh, I'm not sure that either political side has the full picture of truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I don't think that it's it's terribly difficult to think that uh, politicians don't have religion right. I mean, I don't think there's hardly anybody in the country think that politicians have much of anything right. Um, there's not a lot of people um, that we value less than politicians in, in America. Um, I think it's a pretty universally agreed on thing that we don't yeah. like them. <laughs> um, so that's, that's not hard to imagine that they don't have religion right, um, ours in particular. Um, but getting back to uh, the platform itself is, I think, um, I think a lot of people say, yeah, I don't like these, these politicians and I vote for them. And both sides would probably say the same thing. I vote for these people, even if I don't like them very much, but it's mostly because I think they're going to defend the positions that I hold. And so I think what people would say is probably, um, you know, speaking for them was probably say like, I hold these particular positions. And I think that this is. Um, this is what I think it means. And I see that one particular party uh, maybe supports my positions more than others. But what you said uh, was interesting. Um, and I think this is how a lot of these sorts of issues go on the pro-life thing. Uh, the people on the right seem to see it very much as anti-abortion. And that's their idea of pro-life. A lot of people on the left, I think, view it in a broader sense. It's It's less specific than just anti-abortion, even if they're, uh, whether they're pro-choice or not, they view pro-life as in the whole life of all of the people who are involved, which in their case, and the reason they're pro-choice includes the mother. And so now we get into a debate um, about what does it mean to be pro-life? What does life refer to? Just does it refer to the not death of the child that the mother is carrying, or does it refer to the not, well, not technical death, but the not uh, loss of, uh, quote unquote, life uh, of the mother and her ability to raise the child throughout the life, throughout its life. Um, and I think those are the sorts of conversations that we need to have, because right now we're sort of just like arguing. It's like my sports team versus your sports team, and then we fight. And the other side is always wrong. And the refs are always against us. and We get nowhere. <laughs> so. Um, Right. So yeah, I think that's the kind of conversation that we need to have as people. So what does it mean to be pro-life or, or in any other topic that sort of. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, 
Yeah, that's that's I'm with you 100 percent. And that, that's so, sort of advocating for it, But that takes it out of the political vote and it makes about the political, political life. Right. So when I say political life. Um, there's the public politic, the public use of power. And there's the private use of power. There's the, the institutional use of power, the church, for example. I don't know if the numbers are still hold true, but at one point, Bethany Christian Services, a prominent Christian foster care and adoption facility, uh, social services uh, organization. They, they said at one point that if every if every church had one family in America, there would be no more uh, orphans in America. I mean, no more kids. Like in every church system. had one family who adopted. Correct. Yeah, correct. Hmm. And so the idea is to show it's a, like a solvable problem. Now, you know, that that problem then might reiterate itself, but it shows kind of how it could work. And. Um, when I think about uh, sort of the Republican agenda and the Democratic agenda, I see both of them having their own forms of selfish, selfishness, and I'll put that in there. I do see that the Republican Party tends to have uh, a little bit of a higher uh, individualistic nature. Democratic tends to think a little bit more collective, and I think that's a little bit more white majority culture tends to be more individualistic, and the black culture is a little bit more communal, though I think both have moved into a pretty strong sense of individualism. And, uh, but to your point, um, I'm a, a fan, uh, not a groupie, as I say, but a fan of uh, Stanley Hauerwas. He's got a pretty great Christian reader ethic, a book on ethic. And he makes this case at one point. He says that I've never, I've never met. No one's ever come to our church who a woman who just couldn't wait to have an abortion. Many felt they didn't have the choice to have an abortion. And so this is where, I think I would encourage all of our Christian brothers and sisters, regardless of political party, that if you want to be pro-life in this regard, be pro-life in this regard. Adopt, foster, care for, help a mother along. Like this is where um, our politic can go beyond a vote and we can truly utilize our power and the grace given to us by God and actually make uh, a societal difference. So basically what you're doing is you're asking people to put their money where their mouth is. Like, <laughs> if you really believe in this thing, then stop just talking about it. Because, it, frankly, it's really easy to vote, especially if you only do it at the presidential elections. It's once yeah. every four years. You stand yeah. in line for for a little bit or yeah. you do your absentee ballot and then you can feel good about yourself for the next several years. Right. But yeah. well, it, right. you, you, I mean, can you know actually... it's like adopting children takes a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I do. Uh, and, uh, and uh, again, I try to – hope I sound – humble as I want to be humble. Um, but that's absolutely right. I don't think that um, being pro-life is voting every four years. Uh, I think it, it can be a part of it. It can be if that's how the Lord God guides you. Sure. But I think it's more than that. I would even say it's easy to stroke a check. It's hard to live it out. But that is like, right. That This is as Christians, like this is a theological conversation. That's the whole thing, right? Jesus says, I no longer call you friends. Like, you know, I, call, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And no greater love than this, one man give his life to another. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful act to die for somebody. It's also really powerful to live with them <laughs> and for them the remainder of your days. It's not to diminish the cross at all. Please understand, misunderstand that. Uh, but there is a repeated sacrifice on a daily basis when you raise children, especially once you've adopted. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't have kids, so I've, I'm just, I'll take your word for it. It sounds reasonable. You can do a thought experiment. 
Yeah, it, I, I, it's hard. It's hard for me to imagine that it's not difficult to have kids. I mean, I suppose there's theoretically some super easy kids to raise out there. There's probably like three of them, um, but in, in general, yeah, I assume it's quite difficult. Um, here's another question uh, or another topic related to the, to the religion and politics. Maybe it's just politics, but it seems, I don't know, all of it's so tied in together that it, it kind of is something to address. What about conspiracy theories? Because there's a lot of that going around. Yeah. Like just all over the place. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like with uh, people accepting stuff that they just yeah. hear and, and yeah, yeah well, all I mean, of that. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you brought up a good point already in, in regards to this. For me, the, the background of the conspiracy theory is an erosion in trust. And you described an erosion in trust of our political theory or of our political figures and that's absolutely true. I just think there's a societal um, erosion of trust, right? Uh, Howard Putnam uh, out of uh, Harvard, um, he, he talks about social capital and describes it in different ways. And one of those is a trust element. And I think this erosion of trust and like matched with our individualism is, is kind of what got us in this era. As I referenced Howard Watts earlier, I think he quotes, if I remember correctly, Layman Senna, if you remember who that, if you know that theologian. But he writes something about Christian, or America wasn't just founded as a Christian nation. It was also founded as an experiment of the Enlightenment. And he warns, this is probably in the 90s, uh, that the, uh, the outworking of that will be extreme individualism. So you take extreme individualism where I'm just worried about myself and maybe at best my family unit. And you, you match that with um, an erosion of trust. And that erosion of trust, not just in political figures, but it was also in information sources, right? So uh, Facebook and Twitter, they're all on the block. Google's on the block. We don't trust any of those guys. And then you have certain temperaments, it seems, in the world um, that that are, are trying to patternize the world, make sense of it, which, by the way, we all do as humans. We all try to make sense and patternize the world. Um, it's just part of our humanity. Um, and that, that sets itself up for... Um, grabbing all kinds of random pits of information from random places and trying to make sense of it all. And there's something um, within humans, you know, remember when maybe you can relate to this, Matt, remember when we were in high school and you wanted, you're like, when you discovered the band before everybody else, there's something about you're being, you're the insider. Well, I knew that band before anybody, or, or I knew he would be good. Or I, we, we, there's something about us as humans that we like to have an inside track, we like having the scoop on everybody else. And I think all of these are kinds of, um, work into the formula of a conspiracy theory. Theory, uh, may, maybe I don't know what you would call this. This is like the age of the conspiracy theory, and then you you match that with one other um, uh, algorithm, I guess, uh, in regard or factor in regards to our conversation. That's Christians, right? Christians have um, an apocalyptic leaning, right? We we think about the end. We think about the next life. We think about uh, what what uh, factors may lead to the end, even though Jesus warned that <laughs> we still try to do it. And it has seemed to really concoct this perfect recipe for um, conspiracy, like religious conspiracy theory might be the best best phrase. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, yeah, that works for me. I, I have I have a yeah. friend, uh, if it, maybe maybe a watch later. His name's uh, Earl Krebs. He has a PhD from I think Northwestern. If I if I got it wrong, forgive me, Earl. But he did his PhD in communication theory, 
And uh, his his concentration was conspiracy theories. And I think this was like the 1970s, by the way, which, you know, conspiracy theories in the 70s probably would have looked like uh, John F. Kennedy, Elvis and like an alien you know, encounter. And uh, look where we have. I use this word intentionally devolved to that conspiracy theories aren't like these like three, you know, randomized things. JFK, you know, Elvis's death and and UFOs. But it's gotten really rooted in our actual life. Like, think about that. Like, it's no longer something out there to them over there. But now we we think that we it's not just happening to them there. It's happening to us here at the level of misinformation, fake news, the level of X, Y and Z. And and, uh, and then, of course, if you throw the theology angle into it, um, then then it's about, you know, vaccines. And is this the mark of the beast in X, Y, and Z? It says it's a very convoluted time. I haven't given you a great answer. I've told you, <laughs> told you things, how I'm thinking about it, how it's coming to be clear to me. No, but that's interesting about the being out there versus in here, because that will ramp, ramp people up a whole lot more. Because if it's just out there, it's like, okay, well, you know, Elvis being alive or dead doesn't really affect my life unless he's actually living in my basement. I have to feed him every now and then. But other than that, like it doesn't really do anything to me. But but if we think these conspiracy theories are actually changing our lives, that's going to wind people up a lot. And so now it's not just some sort of a passing thing that you can care about or not or whatever. It's like you're gonna you're gonna act if you think it's real. Well, let's add in another dynamic. You know, so again to your point, less uh, abstract. Another angle is fear. Fear is a powerful tool of communication. It 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 moves people to behavior. If you don't, and we can think about this, you say, okay, first of the Christian world, think about the 1980s and how many people came forward because they didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> I mean, it was like, like, brother, if you go home in your Corvette today and you get hit by a car, where are you going to be? You know what I mean? It was a knock on the door. If you die today, if you drop dead of the heart attack, man, where are you going to be? Like that motivated people. It didn't, by the way, motivate to a longstanding change. But if you, but, but now that, that, that was generally, I was speaking, that was an individual in an isolated moment in a sanctuary of a church on Easter Sunday or something. But now that's all day long. If you're a Republican, guess what? There's fear mongering on that side. If you're a Democrat, there's fear mongering on that side. And guess what? That we are two party systems. So almost everybody falls in that. And then you could probably make the case for Tea Party or, you know, third parties. They'll probably have their own form of it. All that to say, you add religion, you add power, you add politic, you add uh, this individual component and possibility with fear. Uh, and it's all day long. Um, yeah, that, that's a that's a heavy it's a heavy thing. Yeah, it is, and I think that's just. I mean, and it's not like it's just sort of there. I mean, the media winds everybody up on purpose because if you have people afraid, then they're going to pay attention. If they're going to pay attention, then they're going to be able to sell more ads. And so they're literally like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just business, like. If you're trying to make you know support your station and you make money then you can do what gets people engaged and so somewhere along the line it's like i mean we have to i think take responsibility for our own selves and like just not give in to being afraid of everything and think through what's worth really focusing on or not because the the inputs from the outside are not going to get any less. I mean, they're not going to just go away because we have 
we have news on the TV, we have news and stuff on our phone. And even if we ignore all that stuff, we have friends who pay attention to it. And so then, I mean, it's just going to be there. So at some point there has to be some sort of a filter. Yeah. What's real and what's not real, what's important, not important. And yeah, no one's going to do that for us. So it's, we got to do it. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But let me uh, backtrack to hair. You, you hinted at the connection of capitalism, right? Again, I don't please misunderstand. Like I, I'm, I, I love the USA. I'm, I'm glad I was born here. Like there, there's so much to be thankful for here. And yet, so this, this is like, uh, don't talk bad about my mom, but, but I can, you know, what I mean? like, like, so, uh, so when I say these things, it's not because I'm a, a, a hater on America, but the reality is we are capitalistic, and there's lots of good in that, in the sense that there's a healthy, robust middle class. I've been all over the world, and I've seen non-healthy, robust middle class. And so I'm grateful for that. But that has also the, the negative of that is is what you said the, the profiteer, right? And so there's a capitalistic angle, and, and so this is a great example to circle back to our American Christian versus Christian American, because American Christian thinks that you define what is good, and if good equals healthy and financially solvent, and good equals um, uh, you know, access to riches or access to opportunities, all these kinds of things that, that can start to, to then justify why you do what you do as a Christian. Now, your Americanism is justifying your Christian. Another one that's maybe a little easier and harder to think about is, is death. You know, God, I'm not looking forward to dying, but we do everything in our power to avoid death. But the Christian message is one that death is a part of this thing called life. And so that every every uh, every decision should not be weighed through the possibility of, you know, will I might die? Does that make sense? And so I'm just trying to use a couple of examples to say retooling our priorities and redefining what is good, what is health. And so but that's not the. That's not the world around us. The world around us is profiting off of fear mongering. The world around us is profiting off of news and salaciousness. The world around us is profiting off of us electing them into power. And so yet another part of this ingredient uh, of the uh, tricky world we live in. Well, that's, that's, I mean, it's requiring us to do a little bit more than what most people have had to do for most of history instead of just, focusing on what it's going to take for us to survive and, you know, take care of ourselves and our family. It's forcing us to have to, to think about something a little bit broader than that, about more than just me and mine and think about the people in the world around us, which goes really against our American individualism, which, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of our country. We're all about us and that works very well for some things, but when you get too much of it, it can cause a problem because you do have to think about the world around you. Yeah. I'm, I'm rather convinced that some of our issues in America is that we don't have a tangible enemy. And so, you know, so like uh, just for a moment, let's think about like the, you know, 1700s kind of a rose, rose colored lens for a moment, but let's say, you know, you and I were brothers. We're in a good Christian family. We're doing all the right things, you know, ignore all the other potential bad things going on. But you and I decide we're going to go to, I don't know, Kentucky we're going to hitch up our wagons tonight. We're going to go, we're going to go ride. Well, you know, we probably don't have the same kind of bickering when we hear the coyotes around us. We hear the bear marks at night. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're going to, we're going to kind of rally a little bit differently. We're probably not going to bicker over like who gets the last bite of beans. You know what I mean? Like, and so, right. so something about the safety and something about our uh, privilege and our richness and our wealth 
allows us to bicker and fight over all kinds of things that some of these things are super important. Life is super important. Um, other things sometimes are, um, I just think they would be non-existent uh, if we had uh, a more aligned uh, target. And, and I don't mean other humans, by the way. <laughs> that, that's a problem we've made. Right, another, the another American problem. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. We, we target a lot of people in a lot of places because we have a lot of toys that we feel like we need to use. Yeah. Um, by the way, pro-life, pro right? Pro-life is foreign policy. Pro-life <laughs> pro is the immigrant. Uh, why? Because Jesus was the immigrant. Pro-life is the refugee. This is why we're talking about pro-life, and this is how it gets back into the nitty-gritty. Yeah. It seems like that um, – oh, what were, you, what were you saying just a minute ago about the – oh, yes. Maybe maybe the, the wealth and the, the security of, of so many people is, is what's causing part of the problems because we don't have anything to do. Like we don't know where to go forward. It's like if, if we're you know worried about coyotes and bears and, and whatever else, then we have nothing to do but focus on survival. And so we have to work together and we have to do things. But if it's like – but if but if most of our needs are taken care of, um, or all of our needs and most of our wants, like most people, then it's all right. What do we do now? Yeah. And if we don't have a direction forward, then we're just going to put our energy into something else, and it may not necessarily be the most productive thing. Yeah, and I almost wonder if it's a facade, right? Maybe the reality is there is some real problem out there that we we miss. Um, uh, or are delaying. Um, not a good example, but the one that comes to mind would be like, say, our, our debt, right? Like the, the national debt, at whatever trillions of dollars it is. And again, I know that could lean you one political side or the other, and I don't necessarily mean for that to take place here. But I'm just using that as a probably not the great example, but there are real examples. Uh, well, may, maybe it's um, uh, war on poverty, or, or maybe it's, um, uh, I don't know, there's, there's some, we have some, I'm going blank now. Uh, we have some real systemic issues with some real challenges and within our walls and with outside of our political walls. And yet somehow we've chosen to choose the ones that are uh, more inward, almost more shallow. Yeah, it, it should be like, I mean, I'm not I'm not a politician and I don't I don't spend much time thinking about politics, but it should see it seems to me that there should be a lot of agreement on a lot of issues like something like the national debt. Like I can't imagine that it's good to have loads <laughs> yeah. and loads and loads of debt for that to keep yeah. going up what we do about it should be what we argue about like but i i have a hard time thinking that we have we that we disagree on whether having trillions of dollars in debt is a good thing or not like it, it seems like that should be an agreement like that's bad yeah. and it's just what do we do about it is the question and it, it seems like there's so many issues like that like that i want to say should be a problem like the homelessness or people going hungry or something like that should be, a, we should agree that that's bad and we, we need to do something about it. And the only question is how, but it doesn't seem like that's a thing people necessarily agree about. Yeah, no, maybe uh, again, it, uh, no stones thrown, but you know, it, it's a lot easier to, to uh, Monday quarterback it at the water cooler, so to speak, or to listen to your favorite talk show host and yell at, the, yell at the radio than it is to actually get down on the grind and do that real work. And, and to be honest with you, as, as someone who, who partakes in some of that work, um, another thing that we're not comfortable with is there's no, there's no guarantee return on the investment. 
Mm. Lots of time you're yeah, talking we want about. A sure thing before we're willing to risk anything or, or spend our time, but like we want to know that it's going to work out. Someone, I will not take a step until someone shows me that this will work. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think you see this in nonprofits, right? That one of the key phrases is evidence-based approaches. Um, but that that's like uh, I don't know. It's like it's like serving in tennis. You know, you're, you're playing percentages. <laughs> but we, but it's, again, not as American as an American Christian, we want to send the money the right place, the right nonprofits, the right organizations who are going to fix it the right way, or countries. You know, you pick your political poison there. But as a Christian American, you go, I'm going to live selflessly and give give away. Re, re, uh, not not uh, without any responsibility, but um, understanding that uh, it's a call to give. It's not a call for a return. Hmm. And there's another problem with that. It's it's a lot like that whole, uh, you know, person coming right out of college or or out of high school, whatever, trying to get a job. It's like everybody wants experience, but how are you supposed to get experience unless you first have a job without any experience? Like nobody wants to give you that. So it's like it's a catch twenty two. That's right. And it's like nearly impossible to start. And it, and it feels like it's almost the same sort of thing, like with people who are trying to do things, whether it's a ministry that's connected to religion or not, like people want to see that it works. It's like, well, it's not going to work if somebody doesn't like help to get it going like that. I mean, it seems like everything is because, because we want to be sure that it works, but sometimes you have to take a chance on something because it needs to be done. Yeah. Right. And I mean, this, I think this is similar to our political conversation in regards like then how do you vote? And, and it's it's just not that simple, it, uh, you know. It's it's about conviction and it's about choice being implemented, right? Um, I think I think what we want to do is to do that prayer where there's like two job opportunities, and you're like, you know, God, which one do I do? And you're like, well, I don't really know, so close the door. You know what I mean? It's like, but um, there's this thing, like, there's this example. Where was it? Oh yeah, Genesis, right? Where Adam and Eve had to make a choice. Like part part of being made in God's image is the fact that we have the power to make choice power to choose our, our, our direction, our destiny. And, you know, which leads us to a you know really difficult thing, which is discernment. Um, and and I, again, I don't think there's a seven steps to ch- choosing the right p- political candidate. I think there's some things we can take into consideration, prayer, those kind of things, scripture. Um, but this is the muddy wor- waters of real life, which is also political life uh, is that, you know, well, which nonprofit do you give the guy on the corner a dollar? What if he buys beer with it? I mean, you give it to him. And sometimes you don't. If God tells you to give it to him, you definitely give it to him. <laughs> you know, uh, and so, um, but this is a little bit of the of the, um, the muddy water, so to speak. Yeah, it is. Of course, you know, if, if more of us, more people actually like thought through this sort of stuff and we had deeper thoughts about things, we might better get, get better options for our political candidates. Like instead of, if, if we're less willing to listen to rhetoric and we want, more answers if that's how we think and that's how we're driven that's what drives our normal conversations and the people who just repeat single words um like i remember like the uh the obama mccain uh election yeah i hated it because um obama repeated hope and change mccain repeated war hero they each had two words and they just repeated those a million times. And it's like, like, I, w- I want to hear about stuff. I don't want, um, yeah, like get, get into issues. 
Yeah, there, yeah, it's uh, politics has become very message driven. Like, what's your message? Send the message, and it's driven, you know, driven by some political scientists in the background with, uh, you know, fo- a focus group, I guess, right? And um, oh, did I lose you? If you're still watching, I don't know what, if I'm still on or not. <laughs> Hey, there, you are. there we go. I don't know. This happened last week. I thought it was just a one-time thing. My camera's being funny, so I'm going to start trying to figure this out. I don't know what's up. It's all good. Um, Did you catch what I was saying? Now. Yeah, I heard everything that you were saying. It just Great. cut yeah. out. So if it does that again, I can hear and see you. So you just Perfect. keep going, and I'll fix it. And hopefully, yeah. I'll sort it out before next week. So the um, the like the focus. You know, this is like the evidence-based approach, right? There's a focus group that says if you say these words, then that's what resonates most with them. And there's probably some level of accuracy that, yeah, right. That's where science comes into play and it actually does work. Uh, but there, but like, but to your point, it is kind of a it's kind of a dumbing down of America. I, you know, I tell you what, for all you listeners out there, go read like I don't know the the Constitution. Go read the um, articles and uh, articles and the, the bylaws of the Constitution and the amendments and read some of the Federalist Papers. I mean, the level at which they write, you know, like I feel like an idiot with all, you know multiple degrees. I'm like these guys, they they write so eloquently and so beautifully, so thoughtfully, and it's like how do we devolve from that to um, I don't know, influencer. <laughs> like, or, I mean, it's like, I don't know where we've, we've gone, but to your point, um, I may, maybe it's, it's hard for me to say, I, I'm going to speculate. It's total conjecture. I don't know if, if the general audience is just dumber and it's about votes or if maybe the ones who are electing aren't as bright as they once were. I don't know. I mean, I have a, I have a hard time imagining that the people who get there are the, the politicians themselves are actually dumb. And there's probably some of them. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of comments about the ones who are, but <laughs> I, I would question their morality before I would question their actual intelligence. Like I think they probably do. Most of them do well on IQ tests. Um, you know, in other areas of life, maybe not so much, but well, I mean, I think that is relevant to, you know, who yeah. we elect, but, but it's like, they're going to do whatever, ultimately they're going to do whatever it takes to get themselves elected. And they run millions of, you know, focus groups and, and surveys and tests to find out what will get people to pay attention. Um, so at some point it's, it's on us and that we're part of the problem. But I think even, even if it is mostly them, at the end of the day, all we can control is us. So, yeah, yeah I, actually, I, guess I, should, us. I guess the clarifier I would make would be I, I don't necessarily mean they're not bright as a whole. Uh, I, I wonder how thoughtful, or you know, to, to use an off quote of phrase, how much they are in the echo chamber. And so you, know, you can have you can have lots of thoughts and you can think about lots of lots of something. Um, but in a singular way, right? I mean, I can think about two plus two all day long. I mean, it doesn't necessarily um, expand my ability to think on two plus two. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I, when I read, because I literally read the Constitution um, in prep for this last week and read some of the Federalist Papers and the, the things which they were talking about and thinking through uh, about liberty and about um, 
mutual responsibility, humanity, and and all that comes with it, and trying to project a, a construct for the future, I just feel like they were light light years ahead of us in, in many regards. Well, I mean, their situation probably had a little bit to do with it. I mean, especially like, you know, at the beginning, okay, we're thinking about founding a country. That's rather a big deal. And the guys who <laughs> signed the Declaration of Independence, it's like, if I put my name on this thing, then I can die. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I agree with the stuff that we're doing. So, I mean, there's that. Um, there is that. That'll, that'll motivate you slightly. Um, but, I mean, you can't just do that out of nowhere. I mean, they had to have been preparing for this for, for their lives. Like, and... What do we do? We just whoever promises us the stuff that we want says the things that we hear is like okay. But and also I think the um the more we become single issue voters, the more frankly disenfranchised we become. Because if the more people who are single issue voters, they know they can they can pull these people, find out how many of which if I say this thing and this thing, this thing and this thing and this thing, then I'll have the votes that I need and then I can ignore your thoughts on everything else. Yeah. And the more complex voters we become, the more they're going to have to actually deal with issues and less about picking the counties and how many people. And so they say things based off of you know their focus groups. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. through this morning about the uh, temptation of Jesus. And right, the third temptation is tempter, quote scripture to him. And I was thinking about um, the use of the, the uh, manipulative use of scripture, right? We, we hear that and everyone goes, yeah, I'm a, I, people abuse the Bible. But usually they have like a pastor in mind or a preacher in mind or some, some Christian orator or spiritual guru. But I don't think it's just them, right? Like. Um, it is them. There, there's some of them that are abusing that and manipulating that. Um, but there is a uh, conflation of the gospel happening um, on all political spectrums where, where there's a, a manipulation of using key phrases. Um, I, I'm fairly convinced to, to get a vote rather than uh, to actually align. They're, 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 uh, it's almost like... Um, it's almost like shopping for a cell phone plan. It's like trying to find like the, the one ingredient that will push you over the edge, you know, like, Oh, mm-hmm. you, you travel a lot. Well, you should get, you know, Verizon cause they're everywhere. Uh, oh, you want 5g where well, we have the most 5g network or, you know, it's like, they just find the one thing that will align you with and, uh, and hope you ignore all the other fine print. Right. And that's what we're doing politically again. And that's just, that's not helpful, and that's just, yeah, all of those things. Are there? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I call that, uh, I think about that in the phrase of Christian hijacking, right? That uh, cer- certain people, not everybody, I, I don't mean to make everybody, I don't personally think that every politician is evil or manipulative. There's probably some guys and gals up there in D.C. or here locally that are really genuinely good people who just want to see change. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of them find themselves in a you know, 200-plus-year-old tradition that's got a lot of uncoded rules, right? R- rules and codes and symbols that aren't written. That you get there and you have um, – to, to your point, I'll use this as an example. I remember when Obama ran and uh, President – I don't know more – be more polite than that. President Obama ran for office and it was like, take in the troops out of Afghanistan. We're taking them out. Like, no, no, we're not going to leave anybody there. You know, we're, we're pulling out. 
And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I wonder what that first security, that first Department of Defense briefing is going to sound like. And they go, okay, I know, I know that's what you want to do. Like, let's just say, like, yeah, let's just say he had pure motivations. I don't know. I don't know. So maybe, I hope he did. And they're like, I know you said that, but here's what you should also know. <laughs> you know, like there, there are certain levels of information up there. And that one's an example of, of a written uh, example that's classified that I think that he probably was like, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to. Going to do a different path than I had initially composed. That's again being gracious and giving him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but that's speaking to that direction. But think about in our own natural lives as Americans, how many um, unwritten rules there are, right? Like we, Colin Kaepernick, he he hit on a rule, right? Uh, it, it was an unwritten rule. It's nowhere in our constitution. It's nowhere in the law that you have to put your hand on your heart and you can't kneel. You know what I mean? But he hit he hit one, and uh, that's another example. But I think. Not only in our daily lives, but more particularly to our, our particular point today, I think there's a lot of politicians that get to those um, those particular points of office, and they, re- they realize there's a lot of there's a lot of unwritten rules uh, that some of them maybe are overwhelmed by and do their best. They probably don't last long, and and some conform. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. That seems to be the sort of the sort of choice that most people face in their lives on on a you know less national scale, but it, it's still the like okay, you had all these ideas that are are great, but then the problem is it's like well, doing something about those is not as easy as you thought it might be, and not everybody's going to be on your side, as well as the well, it might actually be more complicated of a situation than you think it was or you thought it was. And, and so there's, there's nuance to things. And if, and if we're people who can't see nuance and everything has to be black and white, then we're going to make some really, really simplistic decisions, which, you know, it's really easy to say, well, I'm X, but what if that's not, you know, the world's not clean and neat. And so you can't always just say I'm X or I'm not X. Uh, Sometimes you have to be a little bit, well, because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's other things that go along with stuff. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm trying to make room for is in this conversation is to to find where you stake the boundaries. You find the muddy, and then you make you make a discernible best decision uh, as, as at your current maturation in your faith. Like, right? Like, I don't uh, – right. I'm I'm responsible to what the Lord has exposed me to at this point in my faith, um, and so I, I, I you know again I hope everyone hears it. I, I think kindly on those who think differently than me, and some of them I think well I thought that way and then I matured a little bit, and that's a, that's a little bit uh, can sound a little bit arrogant. Um, I don't mean for it to be, and there's some that I, go, I don't understand that, but maybe I will one day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all any of us can do is just the best that we can with with it, with what we have, and uh, I think what I want, like, is for people to actually try to do the best they can with what they have or with what they know, with what they can do, like, because then if you're trying to, then we can have a conversation about it. If you're not trying, then I mean, there's there's nowhere to go. <clears throat> yeah, I want that. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was also want to expose people to recognize <clears throat> Americans, particularly recognize 
that there's a place to love and behold this country and recognize its shortcomings, not um, to be anti-American, but to um, <clears throat> make this truly a better place. And, and not by like political domination, but in like transformation of hearts and lives, like local, you know, they always say like local politics is the most important of us to actually vote on. It's kind of the same thing. Like I'm kind of suggesting is at the local, the national level that um, to take in some information and to be okay with confronting what is traditional ideals. And that's, that's Jesus, right? And that's being an imitator of Christ. Christ was on the scene and he, and he confronts every political landscape. You know, he, he could, in fact, if he was, if he was kindness to any of them, it'd be kindness to, to Rome. <laughs> He's like, give us Caesar, Caesar. And you know, he tells Paul to tell, tell, you know, tell us to submit to authority. I mean, these kinds of things. Um, but when it comes to the, to the, to the, re, the religious political system. And I think we think of that as like denominations and it could be that, but for, for a lot of those people in those local communities, that was their local politician was the law was the, the, the religious law. And, uh, and yet he has um, not, not just harsh words for harsh words sake. He's not just some radical rebellious, right guy. He's, he's um, trying to present truth and, and, uh, and clarity. So I, I want people to give their best. Yes. And amen to that. I also want people to be, um, take the time to explore um, the frailties and the beauties of American, you know, uh, political structures and not just assume that, one side's a good, just for good sake. You know, my grandfather, I'll, I'll say this. My grandfather had, a, I think, a third grade education, uh, obviously a white male, uh, was a sharecropper. And um, he read the Bible every single day of his life. Uh, he read the Bible more times than I have through from beginning to end at, at 42. He didn't even get saved until his 30s. He just, just was just a man of the word. And you know what? He was a Democrat. I'm like, like that, that just for some, that's like what <laughs> you know, and uh, a lot and of people I, in the South, that's that's hard, that's hard to imagine, right? Right, and um, and so, um, political systems have shifted over centuries. I posted over the not centuries, but decades. Uh, I posted an article one time on uh, it was a I think it was I want to say 40s or 50s, where the, the it was a democratic piece on being anti abortion, and it was, it was like shocked me that that was like a thing, I just couldn't believe it. But um, it's a reminder that as entrenched as these systems are, they, they do move and shift. And so let's stay let's stay uh, loyal to uh, our loyalty to the fullest should be to the gospel, and um, and holding a kind of flexibility with political party. So what does that look like? We're kind of coming full circle here. What does that look like in in daily life? In what is it? I mean, it sounds good to say let's let's be loyal to the gospel first and political party second. Um, to the average person, what does it look like to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I, I want to give like an you know x plus y plus z equals like you did it you know loyalty. <laughs> and something yeah, like I mean, not, not like tell them how to vote, but like. How do you go about thinking through this? Like, how do you go about deciding? Yeah. Maybe let's leave the question of, of voting off the table and thinking like this or that political party. Because that, that gets a little bit hairy, especially when there's only two options and stuff. Maybe maybe we'll stop a little bit before that and just focus on issues. Yeah. Like, um, 
how do you decide what to think about a given issue? And maybe you have a, a and allow your 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 own personal platform, what you believe about stuff to be to shift a little bit more as new things are presented mm-hmm. to you. Um, and then you can worry about the voting thing and you know some other point. But what what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I think you know, biblical literacy, I can start there. And so um, I think there's there's kind of a trend, an upward trend in um, extra biblical books, uh, authors writing about, like there's one, something to the effect of, um, uh, the, you know, mis- misreading the Bible through Western eyes, or something of that nature. Uh, I just read a book called um, Reading the, reading, the uh, reading While Black. Um, this is a, a, a black author who... Um, Esau Macaulay did an excellent job on biblical hermeneutic th- through the lens of um, a black man. And uh, there, there's, um, I, I read um, Stanley Harawas. Uh, you know, these are people that I don't always necessarily agree with politically, but they, they bring out um, other, other frames of reference to think through my, my biblical hermeneutic, how I read scripture. Um, so it's easy uh, to slide into you can read the Bible every day. My, my, you know, my grandfather probably read the Bible every day. I know he read it every day, but he probably on some days read things and and he probably interpreted in the in the information set he had. And there's an importance to one read the Bible and, and asking the Lord to to highlight that and discern that. Um, there's also you have to expose yourself to how, what God is saying to others. This is one of the beauties of being, for me, being an intercultural studies guy. Missiology is not just reading all the old white guys like the Germans and the, you know, the, the reformed guys or uh, wh- whoever else you, you list them. Um, but you start reading people of other colors or, or other um, nationalities. I've always been a big fan of the NIV. Why? Cause it's the new international version. You have 50 something scholars from 50 different countries. There's something about that perspective that broadens and, and, and helps shape. Um, I, I don't know if it's, if it's accurate, but I, I tend to think a more, I don't want to say global. That's not that's too politically charged, but uh, a diversity in perspective challenges you to at least pray through and think through um, your biblical hermeneutic, your, your biblical beliefs, um, your you know, your orthodoxy, so to speak. Because it makes help? you have to step outside of all the like the you know I tend to see this thing this way, and the only reason it's not been challenged is because everybody around me tends to see it that way as yeah. well. And it's and there's a lot of things like that that it's you know even though we disagree left and right frequently there's still things that like because we're americans for example like we we tend to be individualists right well most of the world isn't yeah like america western europe like tend to be more individualistic but group oriented cultures there's more of them like all of asia like africa like latin america it's like there's there's way more of them and that's actually more like the biblical culture so they probably closer than we do and so we need to step outside of what we're used to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, thankfully those guys, those parts of the world, the global South, for example, is really rising in theology. Um, unfortunately, it's not always easy to get their materials as Americans, right? It's not always accessible or, or, or it's not always easy to know like, well, who should I read and where to find it? You know, and I hope that changes, but that's why I kind of reference Esau's book. Uh, another one would be, um, there's a book called um, reading the Bible with the damned. And uh, I don't remember the guy's background or credentials, but he, he, he ends up reading the Bible with prisoners. And he starts thinking through a prisoner as a, as a person who's um, you know, confined, oppressed, and starts thinking, man, you know what? The, the Bible had a lot of oppressed people. 
Now, you know, not not always on their own behalf, right? The, the Israelites were made captive. Of course, at certain times God would say it was because of their sin. He allowed it to happen. But um, the point is, you start reading the Bible through the lens of the damned, those who are condemned, and you know, it just takes a different takes a different meaning than uh, me and my middle class suburban house. Um, but that does not that doesn't mean that I don't have a I don't have a biblical a, a God given perspective to offer as well. I'm not trying to say it's only one or the other. I am saying that I'd like to uh, encourage our, our your listeners and others to be exposed to these kinds of writers. You know, how, how was is one for me? I'll tell you uh, a, a key moment for me with him was uh, I've, I've had a concealed carry permit. I have guns, <laughs> right to bear arms, Second Amendment. I have them. I own guns. And I've been a pro-gun guy, not, you know, and I don't have an NRA stick or anything, but I'm, I'm pro-gun by and large. Well, how was is a pacifist? And he's like, you know, he's like, he writes this really, you know, pithy kind of the thing. He's like, Christians are the worst soldiers. And you're like, what? He goes, what kind of a soldier is supposed to love their enemy? What kind of a soldier is supposed to pray for their enemy? And he makes, you know, makes this clause. And, and that was something I had to sit there and think about, you know, because in my little bubble, the adversary, the enemy, was the guy who made fun of me for being a Christian or for being a pastor. It, it, it didn't relate to me, and, and, and my context was too narrow to think about it actually being my enemy. And so that was kind of another one that, that Howard Wass did for me. Hmm. I'm going to ask you uh, in just a little bit um, to to give us some references, some some things, and um you know, places that people can go and look for, um, you know, more information and so forth. Uh, but before I do that, I want to get a couple of questions. Um, so there's one already. I'm going to, I'll put it up on the screen in just a second and then read it. Uh, but if anybody else has any questions that you have and want to, uh, you know, get Dale to respond to them, uh, comment questions, if you have any cries of outrage, those are fine too. Um <laughs> I hope not. That, you know, yeah, hopefully not. But uh, yeah, put those in the chat, and and, and uh, hopefully um, we'll have something intelligent to say about them. So the first one is, you know, what differences do you find between Christian American and Christian European, Christian Asian, Christian African? Like, so if you're Christian in all of these different parts of the world, if you know, how does that? Um, what does that look like? I mean, you, you spent yeah. some time traveling. What, what does that look like? Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a lot of what I think about in regards to um, doctoral studies. Yeah, there's tons. It, it, it's, it's just to, I'll give a few, but I mean, the, the breadth of it is so deep and so wide. Uh, let's think about a few. Uh, time orientation, like how we think about time, how, how uh, the um, uh, Far East or how the Southern uh, world thinks about time, totally different. Um, you know, sometimes we'll say things, you know, you'll, you'll maybe have been to um, Latin America and you'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm on Colombian time because time orientation is different. Not just like showing up 15 minutes late for the party or an hour late in some cultures, but just even how you think about um, the position of time. As Americans, we, team, we tend to be very time oriented and we tend to be very future oriented. Uh, we don't think much about the past. We think we think we think only of the past in small um, um, bites, and it's more like, well, I learned I'm not going to do that again. We go forward. We think forward, 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 future, future, future. Um, Germans, right? Ger- this is a little bit of our Germanic Germanicness coming through in uh, the, the white majority culture. Uh, we tend to be timely. 
right? Like you're punctual. We're not as punctual as the Germans are, but we tend to be poor punctual. Well, in some parts of the world, you're not punctual, but not only in time orientation, it's said, let's go, let's go to the context of Africa, which is a continent. We now, again, Africa is a continent. It's like 40 plus odd countries, maybe more. I might get that wrong. But the point is I'm going to make a generalization. And so understand the generalization. Um, it's said that Africans tend to walk into the future backwards. So African, generally Africans, so if you think about Americans, we're, we're headfirst to the future, we got an eye on the prize, whereas Africans have their the back of their head into the future looking at the past because the, the belief is that time is cyclical. And so what has happened in the past will happen again in the future. And so the, the best way to move forward in the future is by watching the past. I mean, that's, that's just one on time. Um, think about space. Uh, we've we, uh, space not as an outside space, but like in our temporal space. I'm in my office right now. I've got my I've got a big desk right here. You can kind of see I'm seated at another desk. My this desk that I'm seated at is pressed against the wall. This one's pretty close to the wall, set set back, um, and this is what's comfortable to me. Uh, in many parts of the world, your your office, your your space, your desk might be in the center of the room. Uh, you can think about for those I know, Matt, you, you're you like uh, the martial arts. But remember, you know, my bed, my bed in my bedroom, the headboard is against the wall. But we all have seen the Kung Fu movie. Right. And the bed is centered to the room. Like that's just thinking about how, how space uh, informs and shapes our culture. And so uh, we reference another one quickly would be individualism versus collectivism. This, by the way, is something that we can learn a little bit from our friends of color here in the States. They tend to be a little bit less individualistic versus us. Um, and so individualism is about personal choice and how it affects me. Collective, collectivistic thinking tends to be oriented around the community. How is this good for community? Um, and so you think about um, I'll give you an example. It's a famous missiology example, missionary example. There was a missionary that went to Japan. He went to the Shinto, uh, Shinto religious uh, groupings. And he tells the Jesus story and it gets to the part where he says, and Judas betrays Jesus. And they all start clapping and they're like chanting for Judas. And the missionary is like, wait, what? Like, no, no, no. Like this is a story about Jesus. But see, in a collectivistic culture, Jesus as the rebel against society was the outcast. He was the one bucking the system. That was an individual trying to shift a, a culture. Judas was trying to bring out the rebel and bring him in into the community. That was a confrontation. That was a, a loving decision. So missionaries had to think, I think this happened in the maybe uh, somewhere between the 20s, 30s, 50s, somewhere in that range. And they had to think through, okay, wow, we've got to think through the gospel message uh, in a different way that we have, we've thought about it. The, the, the gospel hasn't changed. It's still Jesus, but the, the orientation of the message has to be uh, audience center. Uh, and the last uh, example I'll give you is um, just left me. If you, if you, uh, there's all kinds of books out there on that kind of stuff. Um, uh, if you want one, if you, if you want a non-Christian thinking about sort of the contrast, I think contrasts are helpful. Um, there's some famous um, guys named Gertz, G E E R T Z. And Hofstede, H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E, Google that. And uh, But they have a website 
that allows you to choose like America and like Nigeria, for example. And you can see they have, they have, they'll define them for you. You have six different kind of targets, risk aversion, different kind of things. And it'll show you on a scale of where we align with other cultures. And so when you get all that in your head, just remember you're talking about a, a mid um, a Middle Eastern uh, orientation. So if you kind of want to know a little bit more about the historic mid, mid um Middle East, you could probably look at those countries and think about them in light of the United States. That'll help you think about it a little bit. That would be really helpful. After um, after we're done here, we'll finish up in just a second. Could you um, yeah. send me a link to that? And yeah. um, and as I'm about to ask you other books, or, I mean, you don't have to do it now. You can do it in a minute. And I'll, I'll yeah, put okay. it in the description <laughs> of this video. Yeah. So if you're coming and watching this, you know, in you know a little bit, um, then, uh, then it should. Then you can go down to the description. You can find what Perfect. it's referencing. So that that website way to check. You know how do we compare to to other places around the world? Sort of get an idea of our mindset. Um, and definitely check out the Middle Eastern one for uh, give you a closer idea of, of what biblical authors would have thought. Um, but do you have anything else that'll help us learn how to uh, see things from other perspectives and? Um, you know, which is sort of a starting point for moving into having a um, a deeper view of issues and how we can, if we understand our Christianity better, then we can understand how to how that affects or should affect the world around us. Um, so, can you give maybe a couple of references or places to look? Yeah, you know, you you warned me of this, Matt, and I failed. And I, I forgot, so please forgive me. So I'm gonna go off the cuff. These may not be the best ones. Uh, I just I'm lucky because there just happens to be one sitting right here. This is a book called The Upside Down Kingdom by Donald Crable. This book was written in the 70s. And uh, uh, Don Crable is actually an Anabaptist, which if you're familiar with their history, they, they're already a little bit of critical <laughs> of American politics. And um, uh, but that he does a really good job. I think he's got a social a social scientist background. He does a really got, good job of thinking through what the political landscape, the economic landscape, um, the societal landscape of Jesus' time, and uh, talks about what the kingdom is, which is you know ultimately just uh, uh, Jesus' teachings and Jesus' his personhood and the life uh, of us. And so he does a really good job of kind of demonstrating um, uh, how, how Jesus was different and why in the society and culture by which he lived. And, of course, that makes um, – that makes uh, some some structural things for us to think about in our own context. Uh, that's a really good one. Another book, if you're interested in in more of those um, cross cultural um, um, shifts uh, or, or um, thought processes and, and missions, uh, there's a book called um, Perspectives, and I, I can send you that link to that book. It's like a 900 page volume, and essentially it's just a series of articles. And so some of them are, are built around like the question we had previously. Some of them are built around questions like um, uh, cross-cultural communication, right? Like uh, the sending and the, and the, of the message and how the message should be sent and some of those cross-cultural components. Those are all really good. Um, I'm trying to think. Hang tight with me one second. Um, you don't have to do it off. I mean, you don't have to do it this second. Like you can just send it to me in a minute and just yeah. say – you know, it'll be in the description. You know, Dale, yeah. take a minute and think through it. A minute, we'll do it. I mean, a minute, it can be like you can get me back to me in a few days. It's fine. Okay, it's not, <laughs> okay. It's not critical that it has to be right now. Um, well, I'll have it so, to you I mean, by twelve o'clock tomorrow. At, that's that's fine because I mean, like I know when when somebody asks me for that, I say, 
hold on a minute. And then I have to go, and then I go through all my bookshelves, and I'm like, did I, did I book by book by book, which is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Yeah. And, and which is why I like having books instead of digital things. It just makes it easier for me to look and yeah. to go back and find references and things. And so that's why I prefer Dead Trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, in regards to commentary, InterVarsity uh, uh, Press has got a New Testament uh, commentary with Craig Keener. And Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, he does a pretty good job of – oh, you got it right there? Yeah. I have it literally right here because I love yeah. I love this book. Yeah. So Keener yeah, – I'm a, we're fans of Keener because he's a Pentecostal scholar, and so am I. Well, I don't know if I'm a scholar, but I'm a Pentecostal in uh, background. Um, so he does a really great job of that. Um, you know, N.T. Wright does a pretty good job of that and, and some of his works as well. You know, obviously he studies a lot of the culture uh, of the ancient Near East, so – yeah. That was one of the things that actually drew me to him first was his looking at things from an ancient cultural perspective. And yeah. you know, I, I hadn't gotten into any of his stuff on Paul. Like I first discovered that in New Testament sure. the people of God and um, looking at things from the ancient culture perspective. But yeah, that's a whole other conversation. So, yeah, send me the, send me the links for those um, and all the things that you want people to take a look at. And I'll put them sure. in, in the description. Um, so. Any closing thoughts, any final words of wisdom or direction that you can give anybody or you just say, nope, you got it? Well, you know, I, I feel like I was very muddy, so I apologize to I thought that was muddy. But uh, I would say I'll just tell you what uh, I feel like God's saying to me, and that's to live less distracted. And uh, I do aim to to uh, first and foremost want to live just like Jesus, right, upside down. Um, in our society where it deserves to be so and right side up where that is fitting as well. Um, and um, I do aim to be more thoughtful like our, our founding fathers. And I, I, I am sensing that part of the reason that I don't think the way they did is I don't spend, you know, five hours on horseback <laughs> to the neighboring town, just thinking things through. Um, I'm in my uh, leather leather seats and I've got something playing in the background and uh, it's we, we are at an all time high of informational information access and an all time low of wisdom and discernment. And I just want to do better about stewarding those two things. I think that sounds like a good thing for all of us to do. Thank you again, Dale, for coming on and then for sharing some of your wisdom with all of us. (laughs) I hope it was wise. (laughs) I think it was. Thanks, bud. Thank you again, everybody. um, And have a good day. Yeah. Thanks, Matt.